You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Football season is here, and it's time to bet with my bookie. Use promo code Gators and get a free $20 wager with your first deposit. Your winning season begins today, only at MyBookie. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And joining me a couple days after Florida defeats South Carolina is Will Miles. You can check him out on Twitter at Will Miles SEC and his site, readandreaction.com. Will, Gators are 2-0, and oh, and uh, I think uh, the, I'll use the, the lead that you used in, uh, in your article over at Read and Reaction Two and zero, uh, and two two SEC wins by fourteen points at least. Yeah, well, you know, it's been a long time since we could be unhappy about that, right? <laughs> yeah. Two SEC wins, two touchdowns, two touchdown wins in both games at least, and and still people are looking and picking things apart. But yeah, I think, 51 I think people point. would rather I think people would rather win uh, and beat Vandy nine to six with an Austin Harden field goal. Well, you know, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. But uh, I don't know. This year it might be 96 to something when we play Vandy. But, you know, here's the reality, right, is that most of the time teams are not elite on both sides of the ball. It's rare that they are. Um, That's when you end up with championship teams is when they are. And that's, I guess that's maybe the reason why fans have some consternation is because you see an offense that looks like it might be championship level. And then you look at a defense and let's be honest, right now it's not. And so when you compare those two, things you say okay well how good does the defense need to be or how much progress do we need to see throughout the year in order to to compete for a championship and win a championship and then you watch Alabama and what they did to A&M and you go okay there's still some space to improve Mm -hmm. so you know from the standpoint of the team is either number three or number four in the nation depending upon who you look at for the rankings right now and we're not really going to know anything, probably. I mean, this week at, at A&M maybe tells us something, but LSU probably isn't going to tell us a whole lot based on what we've seen from them. It, it's going to come down to Georgia, right? I mean, that's when we're really going to know is is are the defensive holes significant enough when Florida comes up against a lockdown defense? But that's part of why it's fun, right, is that you don't know what's going to happen. And that's why we love sports is because anything can happen on any given day, just like Texas found out this past week and Oklahoma found out two weeks in a row. And, you know, it could be worse. We could be licking our wounds after after having lost a game because the offense decided not to show up on a day when the defense also decided not to show up. We haven't had that yet. The offense has shown up both times at least – um, three quarters the other day, the offense showed up and, uh, you know, has been more than enough for Florida to enjoy pretty significant victories. Yeah. You, you, when you compare it to what those two Big 12 teams are going through, uh, they're, they're, they're learning and taking their lumps at the same time. Florida is learning and still winning ballgames. So, you know, it, and, you know, it happens. The schedule will get tougher with Texas A&M and LSU coming up. Uh, I think uh, what you can learn is maybe how. 
and we know I think we know, we can say safely Florida's not on Alabama's level right now. We can say that two games in, we can safely say that. But we can say after this week, you you go to College Station, you take on Texas A and M. You can kind of compare a little bit with what you saw last week with Alabama and Texas A and M and, and Florida and Texas A and M uh, this coming up week. Uh, but Will, there's there's a reason they played this year 10 games you don't have to be perfect right now you are 2-0 and but you don't have to you don't have to play Georgia right now you don't have to play Alabama right now that's what you want to keep comparing it to we know there's improvements that have to be made hopefully they'll be made and I do think uh, coming up this week and we'll get into all of it too uh, some of our thoughts here on this episode of uh, you know kind of looking back at South Carolina some of the issues we think Florida can fix and as Mullen says uh, kind of going to your point Will they gotta learn how to finish finish plays and finish games yeah, it's interesting. For the last couple of years, Florida's really been a fourth quarter team, and in the last couple of games, they have not been. And, and oh, good point. Yeah, you know, so the last couple of years, I think people have attributed that to Nick Savage and what he's done in the uh, in in the conditioning. I think this year, some of it. I mean, let's be honest; it's probably a little bit of boredom. I mean, when, yeah. when you're up yeah. when you're up thirty eight to fourteen, and Will Muschamp still running the ball and huddling with three minutes left in the third quarter. I think it's kind of natural you might check out, you know, and, and we were talking before we came on. If Muschamp's just going to hand you a seven-point win on a silver platter, what's the motivation to get off the field other than maybe you got to run for it the next day or, or two days afterwards? I, you know, I, I think it's kind of natural when you get up by three, four touchdowns to take your foot off the gas. And considering that the offense seems to be able to score whenever it wants – you have the ability to do so, right? I mean, if, if this was a Will Muschamp offense at Florida or even a Jim McElwain, Doug Nussmeyer offense at Florida, you couldn't ever take your foot off the gas because third and eight was like an insurmountable um, an insurmountable occurrence. Now it's like third and 14. Like, ah, Chaska picked this up. And so just the attitude around the offense is completely different, which I think leads us to sort of have a – it leads the defense to have a little bit different attitude and maybe be a little bit more conservative – in order to make sure that the opposition runs the clock rather than hits some big score and, and comes down and, and, and makes it into a track meet. So, you know, you can't really have it both ways. In the game against Ole Miss, they gave up big play after big play after big play. Game against South Carolina, they only gave up two explosives. Um, you know, and they were both well, – there was a 22-yard pass to, to Leggett and a 20-yard pass to Shai Smith. That was it. One in the first half, one in the second half. So they didn't give up a lot of big plays. They only gave up 4.0 yards per play, which is actually pretty good. It's just that they couldn't get off the field, especially on fourth down. You know, is that perfect? No, it's not. But I think compared to what we saw against Ole Miss, it's a step in the right direction. Now you just have to course correct again and say, okay – we don't want to give up big plays, but at the same time, we can't play nine yards off the line of scrimmage on a fourth and four. And, you know, those sorts of things will, will develop as the season goes along. But they clearly went into this with a game plan where they were going to be much more conservative, keep things in front of them, not allow the big play. And they were able to do that for the most part. Yeah, and as we found out, too, that Ole Miss offense pretty good, <laughs> again, versus a really good, I don't want to say really good, but, you know, at least a better than average, pretty good Kentucky defense as well. So, you know, we'll see what ha- happens again, uh, Ole Miss and Alabama this week. Uh, that'd be a, a pretty good one there. So, yeah, uh, like I said, uh, Will and I will get into a lot of the stuff that he's put on, put up in his uh, read and reaction article, kind of looking back at the Florida-South Carolina game, uh, some things that uh, – not necessarily out there a whole lot. And then uh, as well, you know, we'll get into the defense, what the defense can do different. And I'll uh, share some notes I was able to gather uh, yesterday as well uh, about this Gator defense. So before we get there, remember you can find Gators Breakdown at news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. There you'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as News 4 Jacks coverage 
of the Gators. Please share, rate, and review the show. Subscribe on YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube right now, live like many of you out there are, hit that like button. It really helps us out. And uh, check us out on your favorite podcast platform if you just need the audio version. And follow Gators Breakdown on social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Gators uh, Breakdown. So, well, uh, yeah, I was, I was talking with you and uh, kind of what I wanted to lead off with something for, for offense. We'll get into the defense. I know that's kind of the uh, what everybody wants to uh, <laughs> discuss and, and complain about, rightfully so, uh, here. But uh, you pointed on something in your article that hasn't really been discussed a whole lot in the last couple of days. And even though the sack numbers aren't there for opposing defenses versus Florida, you know, you, you did a really good job of pointing out, you know, that Trask is getting hit and or dealing with a whole lot of pressure. Uh, and looking back at this South Carolina game, you detail a few plays that uh, may have um, even affected some clean pockets for Trask. And when, when you had a clean pocket, getting hit, maybe uh, missed a big play or two with, with, with that. But Man, he will. He, he's still showing the presence of getting the ball out, getting it to the wide receiver, wide receiver in many of those situations, throwing catchable balls, let these wide receivers make some plays, moving up in the pocket when he needs to, really showing the, with the pressure in his face, he's still able to go out there and, and make a play. Yeah, I mean, so there's a there's a lot to talk about there. The first is, is as you mentioned, he got hit it quite a bit. I mean, there were a lot of those back shoulder throws where um, where he was getting hit as he threw the ball. I diagrammed one in in the article where he was throwing. I believe it was to Kyle Pitts, and he hits Pitts right in stride. You know, basically two seconds after, basically right after his back foot hits the hits, hits his drop, and then he gets drilled right as he's letting go of the ball. And now he lets go of it, so and he's not he doesn't get flushed or anything like that. So it's not considered a quarterback pressure. But you know, I guarantee he felt it and you know there was another play it's the one where Pitts made the really really nice catch over the middle but the reason Pitts had to make that really nice catch over the middle is because Trask sort of had to had to dodge his running back and and his left guard did not do a real good job of picking up a blitzing linebacker and he had to dodge him now he was able to do so but that drives him off his spot and makes him a little bit less accurate in the throw to Pitts so the throw to Pitts kept you know picks up 14 15 yards rather than picking up maybe 30 40 50 because all he would have had to do is beat a safety and we saw what he could do with safety <laughs> against Ole Miss so you know it's interesting because I thought in the first half even though he was outstanding in terms of his completion percentage and the yardage and the offense couldn't be stopped, it looked like Trask was a little bit off. There were a couple of throws that he threw on the field goal drive specifically where he was throwing little outs to Kadarius Tony, where the ball was a little bit behind Tony, and Tony had to kind of reach behind him, and it looked kind of awkward when he was trying to turn the corner to to, to get around. There was one specifically on the field goal drive where if he had hit Tony right in stride, right on the numbers, it would have been a touchdown. Instead, Tony gets tackled, and then the next play is the one that he throws up to Pitts, mm. where Pitts you know, basically catches it with like one toe on the line, and then he gets pressured on a stunt coming up the middle and just airmails Pitts by four or five yards. But that So there are a couple of things there. One is that I think he was a little bit off. But still fantastic. I mean, he still played really, really well, which I think should be encouraging to Gator fans, right? That that even in his off game, Kyle Pitts is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. But then the other thing is, is the stunt part is the thing that worries me. Because I saw that against Old Miss, and I saw it again in this game against South Carolina, that the offensive line is still getting confused when they have to hand guys off when there are stunts or anything sort of exotic that's thrown at them by the defense. And that's eventually going to come back and bite them because – you know, because Trask is going to get hit, and at some point the ball is going to come out. Um, he did have one fumble in this game that looked a little bit 
more like last year against Auburn or Tennessee, where he was sort of holding the ball longer than he has in the past. Yeah, that's going to happen to a quarterback every once in a while. Again, we're sort of nitpicking here because the guy's got 10, 10 touchdowns and one kind of interception. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, the other thing is two plays before the interception, he threw a back shoulder throw that was basically right at the defender. And, and Jacob Copeland had to break it up. And then even more is the play after that. So he threw the ball that was the back shoulder that almost got intercepted. Then on the next play, he threw one into tight coverage. I think it was to Justin Shorter coming across the middle. But his running back was wide open as a for, as a drop down option. And, and so those are the things you know. As you get a little bit more aggressive, as you get a little bit more confidence, do you take some shots into tight spots? One of the things about Trask has always been that he's gone to the right place with the ball. It's not a coincidence his completion percentage is really high. He's almost always thrown to a guy who's wide open because he's going to the right place in terms of what Mullen wants. I wouldn't be surprised if they get back to that. A little bit this week, where where you know you're not going to see him try to fit the ball into as tight a space or throw a guy open as much as just saying, hey, the simple play is I've got an outlet for a running back. Let's get it to him and let him run for five or six yards and then work with second and four. Yeah, and with that sequence of plays you're talking about there, Florida was up pretty big on on that sequence of plays as well. So I was first of all surprised they would come out passing in that situation, then passing, and then you know, like you said, Trask and probably his little worst sequence of plays there, of course, so, so far this year. Like you said, forcing the ball probably in in, in some in, in some coverages that he shouldn't have. Got the interception uh, when when Tony falls down after run after running in the grinds there. So uh, yeah, just that sequence of plays there, and then it, it leaves a sour taste and a little bit of Gator fans because that was pretty much the last time we got to see him <laughs> in that game because South Carolina's long drive uh, after that. So, um, well, one, one thing I wanted to discuss, and I, and I brought it up to uh, Dan Mullen and Kyle Trash today uh, in the media meeting, and, 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 and the confidence in the wide receiver group. And, and, and what I mean by that is uh, I, I asked Mullen about, you know, you have your secondary, what you, I guess, would call your secondary guys, your Twint Littermore, Justin Shorter, and Xavier Henderson. Those guys are out there, Will. It, the game is tied 7-7, seven to seven, and it's the second offensive drive of the game. You pretty much have your second unit wide receivers and running back out there as well. Naquan Wright's out there at running back. So uh, I found it pretty interesting that he, there's a lot of trust right there in a SEC 7-7 seven, seven tie ball game that, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's pre-planned, of course, but you know, it's pre-planned because he trusts those guys to go out there early in a game at 7-7 seven, seven, and you've got guys who don't have a lot of experience in uh, either overall – like uh, Whittemore and Henderson and, and Wright and you know Shorter, who doesn't necessarily have a lot of experience in this offense. So, and, you know, Mullen said they, they try and roll their guys through, and part of that is playing a 10-game SEC schedule with COVID and everything, and they have to make sure everyone's ready to go and don't get – he said basically you don't get better by sitting on the bench. So, that, so they played them, said those guys have all played pretty well. When you look at the total number of reps on Sundays when they go back and look at the film, you know, to keep guys healthy and fresher during the course of the season in the game, and I also brought that – question up to Trask about you know, the, the confidence and being able being out there with those young receivers and you know he says he has confidence in whoever is out there and he, it's great that and here you go, here you go we're kind of going back to the point here it's great that he could go out there and throw a 50-50 ball and have confidence somebody's going to come down with it and, and we saw that with Whittemore uh and, and that and I remember you tweeting about that play and you know it was great by Trask to move up in the pocket and, and he throws it to Whittemore and Whittemore com, comes down with it there so I found it really interesting when you when I went back and looked at the game that those guys were also out there. Will when the defense forces a three and out, and you want to you know the offense wants to go score right before halftime. There's a you know just a couple plays in that drive as well where it's the same scenario. Those young guys are out there, so it lets me know there's a lot of trust 
right now in, in, in those guys in, game, in, in, in critical situations in games. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it has to boils down to Trask, right, is that you yeah. trust. So here's the deal. Any receiver at an SEC level should be able to take a guy one-on-one. That, and when you got a guy like Justin Shorter who's big, or you've got a guy like Kyle Pitts who's big, or a guy like Whittemore who's big, they should be able to shield the defender with their body and win a one-on-one battle. And um, for the most part, they've been able to do that. And then, so what it means is, is if Pitts is attracting attention in the middle of the field and they're rolling a safety over to double him, well, that's going to leave somebody else one-on-one. Same thing with Tony. If he gets one-on-one with a linebacker in the middle of the field, forget about it, right? And and even if they bring a safety or even a DB over, it's still probably going to be something that he's going to struggle with or the defensive back's going to struggle with. So I think, um, you know, in a situation where you didn't trust Trask to go to the right place, then it would be much more difficult to get those younger guys in because they trust Trask to get them in. I think you can roll. I think you can roll guys in significantly more. But but let's not mistake that for the level of play from those guys. I, I think Whittemore obviously showed some things this past week. I thought Shorter really struggled to get some separation. There were some slants where his route running didn't look fantastic. Where you know he had a guy run on his hip, and there were a couple of pass interference penalties there that 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 he was able able to get because the guy was a little bit too close but I still think from the standpoint of wanting to see separation that wasn't necessarily something that we saw um obviously Pitts looks fantastic Tony looks great in terms of being able to get separation when he's out there Grimes had a drop which I think was pretty pretty significant they didn't go to him a lot um you know so but yeah I mean obviously it's great they're getting all sorts of people involved I think they had 11 guys catch the ball um you know the other day against Ole Miss and what one yeah, two three nine, four five six seven eight nine yep. catching the ball there so yeah they're getting people in I think uh you know one of the things that's sort of interesting is that they've really gone to the past so significantly that these guys in some respects are an extension of the run game just like they were last year and um you know, so the guys who can block are the guys who are going to get in the game, and and these guys all seem to be committed to that part of the game as well. So, yeah, I think I think a lot of it boils down to Trask, right? Trask has shown himself to be more than just a game manager. He's shown himself to get the ball to a guy in space and get it there pretty reliably. The throw, he, the the ball he threw to Tony was gorgeous. I mean, it wasn't a really difficult throw, but to hit him where he didn't have to break stride at all is the reason Tony scored on that. Now, obviously, a lot of that is Tony being able to like, you know. Fit, you know, <laughs> thread the needle right between like seven defenders, like they had, like everybody was showing on Twitter, going, "How did he get through there?" But yeah, um, remind me but, of the Freddie Swain Auburn touchdown last year, except a lot more traffic. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, and and that Swain didn't actually get hit on that play, right? Right, Tony right. yeah, got hit yeah, on this play, yeah. but he's so low to the ground and he's so strong, he was able to maintain his balance. It was the same thing on the fifty-yard run against Ole Miss, where he came around the edge, he took on a took on a linebacker, linebacker hit him but didn't wrap him up, and he kept going. And to be honest, that's something that maybe Lamichael P. Ryan showed last year, but for mm-hmm. the most part, Florida's receivers and skill players, when they got hit, they went down. So having a guy who you're going to have to gang tackle and going to have to get four or five guys in to bring him down, and and we saw it from. Pierce too in this game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did see that from Pierce too, though. Nothing where he was able to really break anything right, long, yeah, yeah, right? Gotcha. He was able to break yeah, a couple right. of tackles, but yeah. then to turn that into I mean, the touchdown for Tony should have been by all rights maybe a fifteen yard gain. <laughs> yeah. And and instead it's a fifty yard backbreaker and and both teams gave up at that point. So um, Well how how happy are you one Kadarius Tony's making plays right now? 
Oh, I mean, I, I wanted to be the quarterbacks. <laughs> no, I mean, look, I, I'm happy for everybody, him. I think. Everybody who's new to Gators Breakdown has a – Will, what, two years ago? Yeah, Mullen's first year. Will Miles was on the uh, Kadarius Tony as quarterback train. So if, if you've been with Gators Breakdown that long, you know exactly what the storyline is. Yeah, if well, not, you, you'll have, we'll have to, you have to go back to that time. Hey, he's still got the best QB rating of anybody <laughs> on the team right now. So I think he's like – Two for three for like two touchdowns or something, but uh, you know, I'm really happy to see for Tony. Yeah. Uh, obviously, he struggled with injuries last year. Um, the story coming into last year was that he was really developing as a wide receiver. Two years ago, the story was he needed to develop as a wide receiver, and and then there was some discussion over the off season about whether he was going to opt out or what was going to happen with COVID, and and obviously he's come back and really shown. A, an ability to break tackles that I think is going to serve him well when it comes time to prepare for the draft. The biggest knock on Tony, the funny part is, is you think of him as an explosive athlete, the biggest knock at the next level for him is going to be he's not fast enough. Like yeah, he's, exactly. He got caught from behind against Old Miss, and mm-hmm. and and you know that that's, I guess, disturbing at, at some level, but who cares right now, right? You, you thread the needle and you, you turn 15-yard plays into 50. I mean, that felt like old-school 2008 Florida, right, where – you give the ball to Harvin, and I'm not saying he's Harvin, but you give the ball to Harvin and just get out of the way. And this was one yeah, of those situations that, uh, where you give the ball to Tony and get out of the way. Yeah, and I, and I said that yesterday too. And you know, I, I hate bringing up Percy Harvin because there's there's not going to be another Percy Harvin. But that was Harvin-esque. That was a Harvin style type of play. Well, and we, we talked all off season long. We have to talk the last two off seasons that Florida hasn't really had a guy on offense who you could give the ball to and he could break a couple of tackles and turn it into a touchdown. And Kadarius Tony has shown that in the last two games. He showed it last year against Miami, then he got hurt. And in the first two games this year, he has had two 50-plus-yard plays where he has been hit in a situation where it should have been a 5-yard gain or a 10-yard gain or a 12-yard gain, and he's turned them into 50-yard gains. And, you know, that is the kind of stuff that Percy Harvin used to do pretty pretty reliably, right? And and so, no, he doesn't have Percy Harvin's speed. I think he's actually got more agility than Percy Harvin mm-hmm. did. Um you know, and, and sometimes that's going to serve him well. Sometimes it won't, depending upon the situation. But um, he's a different kind of player, but still a very explosive player and an excellent complement to Kyle Pitts, right? That, that Kyle Pitts has the ability to go turn maybe a 10-yard catch into a 30-yard catch. Tony has the ability to turn a 5-yard catch into a 50-yard catch. <laughs> and then you put those two guys side-by-side side on the line. Who are you going to double? Yep. Right? And, and that's really the, the thing that people are struggling with right now. What you'd like to see is maybe one guy on the outside. You saw it a little bit with Xavier Henderson uh, being able to step up and be that guy who's maybe the deep threat or, or allows him to take some deep shots down the field. We'll see how that materializes through the year because if they have one guy who can sort of take the top off the defense, then this offense will be unstoppable because that is the one thing that was sort of missing against South Carolina. It wasn't really against, uh, against Old Miss, or at least the big play they hit against Old Miss was two pits. I'd like to see him take a couple of shots to wide receivers who are not Pitts and not Tony when Pitts and Tony are on the field because eventually those guys are going to get single coverage and you want you want to know that they can beat that single coverage and, and turn that into big plays for the Gators. All right, all right, good stuff. We'll, uh, of course, hit the defense uh, coming up here. But a word from our sponsors, my bookie. So between the NFL, college football, and the MLB playoffs, there's no shortage of games to watch. And with thousands of lines available on all your favorite sports and events, you can turn your game day into payday at MyBookie. If you're the type that likes to bet the big favorites, then consider putting a couple in a parlay for a much bigger payout. Not only do parlays make meaningless games more exciting, but more importantly, they give you a chance to turn ordinary bets into a real moneymaker. 
And don't forget the underdogs, they have a ton of value. The thing about the NFL is that underdogs are never really dogs on Sunday. Every team truly has a chance to win, and you do too. Game spreads, championship futures, and players' prop bets. It's never too late to get in on the action and start turning your sports knowledge into actual cash in your wallet. You can sign up at MyBookie, just use the promo code GATERS, and you can grab a free $20 wager with your first deposit to bet on anything in the sports book. It's a bonus designed to give you a little help and a head start on your winning season. That's promo code GATERS to claim your bonus when you make your first deposit. Stat UFC cards, presidential prop bets, all the major sports and more. Sign up today. Begin your winning season only at my bookie. So, well, let's get to the uh, defense as well. And Mullen said, you know, not only do they need to finish, and look, we've seen it the first two games this season, they need to start faster <laughs> on defense as well, giving up some easy touchdown drives to Ole Miss in South Carolina. Uh, the last couple of weeks, you know, they've started slow and, and, and not finished. Mullen mentions you know, they've played well in the middle of the game, but the slow start and, and of course, not being able to finish or, or points of contention right now. And, look, he has a point there. You know, after the first touchdown drive by South Carolina, they go punt, punt, touchdown after the Trask fumble, punt, end of half, fumble, punt, field goal, touchdown, aided again by an offensive turnover. So now, now you want to see your defense respond, but but both of those touchdown drives uh, there started in Florida territory, and the Gamecocks used nine plays on on one and eleven plays on the other. So it wasn't easy, but the defense needs to step up there. Yeah, I mean, so it's a little bit of a mixed bag, right? I yeah. Mean, so Colin Hill was terrible, and whether you want to whether you want to attribute that to Florida's defense or not, obviously there were a few drops that aided some of those punts, especially early on. But he completed less than 60% of his passes for four and a half yards an attempt. You give up four and a half yards an attempt through the air, you should win every time. Every time. They only gave up four scoring drives. One was 12 plays for 75 yards. One was nine plays for 48 after the Trask fumble. One was 11 plays for 47 yards. And then another one was 11 plays for 39 yards. So obviously not exactly a, uh, a dynamic offense coming across from South Carolina. And I think they played to that a little bit, right? Like, let's play off of him. Let's make Colin Hill beat us because we don't think Colin Hill can drive him straight down the field. And that was a successful strategy a large portion of the time until you got to the final drive. So, you know, the game was 38-14 to 14 at one point after the Tony touchdown. And, you know, with like, what, three minutes left? And then Muschamp gets the ball back, goes for it on fourth down deep in his own territory, runs half the fourth quarter out, and then ends up kicking a field goal to make it 38-17. to 17. I mean, the game's over at that point. So we can, we can look at the fourth quarter. We can nitpick at the fourth quarter. We can say that, hey, the defense should have played better in the fourth quarter. Those things are all true, but the defense didn't need to play better in the fourth quarter because they played well enough in the second and third quarter to really salt the game away. So I, I have a tough time knowing – whether it's a motivation problem. Now, you know, that's one of the things I think you're seeing right now a little bit is is the lack of leadership that you have had for the past mm-hmm. four years with David Reese at middle linebacker because I don't know that he would have put up with that stuff, right? I mean, first thing he would have done is he would have gone, gone up there and gotten on his defensive tackles and said, I need a better push. And the second thing he would have done is he would have blown somebody up in the backfield when he had an opportunity as well. Granted, they might have taken advantage of him in coverage, but, but you can bet yeah. that he would have been getting on his teammates. So, um, you know, I think that's yeah, maybe I'll, one. I always go back to, you know, um, the year McIlwain got fired and, and calling out his teammates. He, he had no problem doing that. And I don't, no, I don't, know, if, I don't know if anybody takes anybody serious right now if, they, if they're getting called out. 
Well, you know, it's it's a great point because the reality is this isn't Todd Grantham. The the defense is capable of playing better. I don't know if they're capable of being elite. I don't think we've seen any of that yet. I know you guys on the podcast yesterday were talking about how they don't have like the John Grenard or even the Jabari Zaniga on the defensive line, sort of the star at any position really on the defense right now. I mean, you had Chauncey Gardner-Johnson a few years ago as well. There's nobody that you look at and go, that's the guy if he gets hurt is really, really, really going to hurt us. It's just sort of meh all the way across the board, yeah. right? And and that's okay. Um, it's not going to be okay probably against Georgia, but, you know, Georgia's got Stetson Bennett at quarterback, so maybe it will be good enough. We've sort of got the the heads of one – the head and tail of the same coin going in there to that cocktail party game if both teams can find a way to get, get to that one undefeated. So, I don't know. I, I sort of look at it and say when the offense is doing what the offense is doing – um, I, I don't really have a whole lot of I don't have a whole lot of complaints about them just letting Muschamp run the game out. I mean, yeah, there was a play where Marco Wilson was too far off the line of scrimmage and allowed a fourth down conversion. Yeah, they allowed five or six fourth down conversions. But it was six to seventeen on third down. So and on that play, will and I'll get into some notes here. I, I was talking to someone and Marco was supposed to come up. That's on him. Yeah. Yeah, well, and that was not the only time that Marco Wilson looked like he was out of place or didn't know exactly what he was supposed to do, but he was not the only one, right? I mean, right, the play that right. I think most people have seen and has and has gotten most of the uh, the ire of Gator Twitter or Gator Nation has been the play where Bernie got burned down in the down in the red zone. But I actually diagrammed in my uh, in my article play where where Diabate was basically playing the same position as Bernie in the red zone earlier in the game and did the same exact thing. So whether it's they had something schematically going on there or whether both of them were doing the wrong thing both times, I'm not entirely sure. It looks uh, like... Uh, there we go. Now, I'll, I was going to save this, but I'll, I'll go to it, Will, too. So here's the thing. And like I said, guys, I had a conversation about the defense with, with someone who is plugged in. So I'll leave it at that uh, there. But, you know, Bernie's play on that, South Carolina had been abusing the flats with their running backs all day long. That was what they had did all day long. Bernie admits that's the, he just got he got sucked up into that. He went straight to the flats because that is exactly what what uh, what the running backs for South Carolina had done all day. So you know the angle play was the perfect play by Mike Bobo to to, to call up in that certain situation. And you know you probably I'd like to go back and watch it. You know. How many times did they run it? And was Bernie out there? Was he running to the flats over and over and over again? And like I said, they did just basically kind of set that play up. Uh, but that's exactly what happened on that play. Bernie thought the play was going to the flats because almost every other play in the game was going there, and they beat him on it. Well, and there was a play later on in the game that no one's going to pay any attention to where Bernie was up looking like he was going to blitz, and then he dropped back to basically play the center safety and allowed Sean Davis to come up and make a tackle on a third down. And then if Marco Wilson plays a little bit closer on the fourth down, then we're not having this discussion at all because Bernie doesn't get burned, and everybody looks at him and goes, oh, look at the versatility. You can have him up at the line of scrimmage to rush the passer on a blitz and have him drop back to deep safety. So, I mean, that one, it was kind of an innovative play design from, from Grantham to do that. And two, the fact that he has the ability to do that means that they're going to keep him on the field because of his versatility. Look, here's the reality is we've been spoiled. I think everybody looked at David Reese and said, hey, that guy, he can't cover. But we've been spoiled by the fact that he's always in the right place for four straight years. And now we've got linebackers who are learning and linebackers who are out there who, I mean, let's be honest, Bernie did not play linebacker in high school, right? He didn't even play linebacker when he first came to college. Yeah, so now we're so bad. That's pretty much a story on every level right now. 
<laughs> well, I mean, I mean, Gennard's and Iga go away, so you got you know, I mean, you you talk, you think you'd be able to count on Jeremiah Moon to kind of do that, but you got Cox out there who barely played for Georgia. There's learning, you know. Gervon uh, Dexter's out there learning. Miller, Houston, Bernie, Diabate, you know, that, that linebacker court, they're learning out there. You got Hill and Kimbrough out there playing a whole lot, too. There's a lot of learning going on in this defense right now. And look, and I know about linebacker and everybody's kind of request of wanting to see some of the young guys out there kind of going back to, to the conversation. You know, don't expect to see much decrease in playing time for, for Bernie. The, the staff likes him overall. And if you want to see the younger linebackers out there, then they need to start acting like they want to play. They need to be trusted on and off the field right now because Bernie's the one doing that in practice and, 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 and on the games and on the field. He, he knows what he's doing behind the scenes. The younger guys need to learn and step up. Well, the other thing is is that when you look at linebackers and they're if they're getting mauled by offensive linemen, then that's the defensive tackle's fault, right? Like, like if the linebackers are not able to roam free, that is not the linebacker's fault for the most part. Usually that's the defensive tackle's fault. Now, um, you know, there are a couple of plays, especially the draw on the third and four where, where South Carolina was able to get the first down. I think the linebackers need to do a better job of taking on the offensive linemen and sort of, you know, basically the linebacker's job there isn't to make the tackle. The linebacker's job is to create congestion to allow people to come and make the tackle. And they didn't do that real well on, on a few plays. But they also a few times just got absolutely mauled by offensive linemen because Slayton and Carter and Dunlap were, were not getting off the block. We're not getting much push at all. There was there were a couple of plays where Slayton got push. Carter, I think, is sort of learning from the inside and the outside. And obviously, I know he was named, what, SEC Defensive Player of the Week or something this week. And yeah. I do think he played well in spurts. But, you know, you, you can't look at that game and think that the defensive line really did anything all that stellar. Because at times it felt like they were playing against Jake Fromm last year in Georgia where they just couldn't get any pressure on the quarterback mm-hmm. at all. And he had plenty of time to sit back there and 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 – and wait, and then all of a sudden you'd have something like Chatfield break through and bam, just absolutely destroy him. Now, one or thing they, they did, and what we've seen it the last two weeks, Will, and it's man, it's getting on my nerves seeing it so much. When they do get back there, these quarterbacks they're playing are just really doing a good job of just moving up in the pocket and and, and finding a safe throw. Yeah, but that's a defensive tackle issue, right? Yeah, so right, there's no pressure up the middle to, to yeah. Yeah, when there's no pressure up the middle, the defensive ends look like they've lost their contain because they've run up the field, and when they run up the field, the whole point is the whole defensive line is supposed to come up the field. And so then, yeah, the the defensive ends basically meet, and the quarterback's not there anymore because they're not getting that push up the middle. That's where everything starts when you start looking at the problems that they had on defense. And in fact, when you look at the sacks, other than the one by Chatfield, the sacks that they got were either there was the one where Carter absolutely pushed his man right back into the quarterback. He just sort of fell over, looked like he'd been shot. And then the other the other one was they had Bogle who lined up on the inside and um, and he was able to beat his man because he's quicker and he was able to get inside the guard. And then the pressure came right up the middle and Hill didn't have an opportunity to do anything at that point, sort of a jailbreak to get him at that point. But Bogle is the one who really caused those issues. So I do think that this week against A&M, you might see them move some of the quicker guys inside because if you're not necessarily going to generate pressure just by a bull rush and you're not going to win those one-on-one battles, you may as well bring some of the quicker guys inside. Carter is one of those that they've moved inside kind of regularly. But instead of Carter and Dunlap or Carter and and, and Slayton, maybe you see Slater, Slater, uh, Carter and Bogle on the inside, right? And you just sort of sacrifice what you sacrifice in the running game because let's be honest, right now, 
you're not winning those one-on-one battles anyway with the bigger guys, so why not put the smaller guy in there, let the linebacker still get mauled, but at least you have a better pass rush. So it'll be interesting to see what they do up front and whether Bogle was able to earn some playing time and maybe some of those other guys. You know, basically, like the New York Giants a few years ago against the Patriots, I remember them basically putting four pass rushers out there. And the pay- they were like, fine, go ahead, run the ball. We're not going to let you pass it. We're going to get pressure when you go back there. And obviously against the Patriots, that was the right, that was the right call. Um, you know, we'll see whether that holds up. I mean, against a team like Georgia, that probably won't be the way to right. the way to go yeah. because Georgia's going to try to run the ball. At the same time, against a team like A and M, maybe that is the right solution because they have not run the ball real well thus far. And and Kellen Mond, when he's pressured, is is not very good. Yep. Um, so yeah, kind of going uh, back, Will and. Um and Mullen said, you know, so some of the issues of talking about, you know, continuing to, to get in the mindset that they need to be in. Uh, you know, they were kind of going through the motions when, when they were up 38 to 14. And look, you can't do that. And, and he said he thinks that's the side effect of, uh, of everything going on right now. Um, but, you know, eventually the, the, the preparing in camp through COVID excuse is going to have to fall by the wayside when there's, well, other teams out, when, when there's other teams out there kind of playing well through that as, at the same time. Well, that actually is a Mullen problem because the reality is is that you're the head coach and the attitude to your team is is under your control or at least whether they play it should be under your control, right? So if a guy goes out in the fourth quarter and doesn't give you good effort, pull him off the field. Yeah. Right, And if you don't have somebody to replace him, well, then it's a recruiting problem because you needed better guys <laughs> back there to replace him. And, and you know, so I do think that's, a, that's something that when people criticize Grantham for his scheme, you know, he's scheming based on the inexperience that he has and the lack of playmakers that we've seen thus far. Now, you can go back and say, all right, you know, they should have recruited more playmakers. OK, that's true. But when you look back and say, why are third downs or fourth downs getting converted? You know, guys being out of place, guys doing things lackadaisically, guys not having sort of that killer attitude. All right. I mean, that's on Grantham, right? Like you need to dial up the intensity. And if you can't dial up the intensity, then that then that's an issue. I'm glad you said that. That's what I said yesterday about meet by meeting in the middle. At, at, at some point, there's a mindset out there, too. Yeah, like you said, if, if you have to play aggressive to be aggressive, Mentally, then, then do that. You know, play play fast. If you get beat, at least play fast. Well, but they tried that against Old Miss. Well, that's true. There has to be there has to be meeting in the middle somewhere. Well, and and so you know, part of this is is Stewart coming back. Part of this is if they get Kyrie Campbell back. You know, just we'll get some into of the, more of that. Yep. Well, some of the depth of those guys coming back probably makes a little bit of a difference. But at, at the end of the day, I don't think this is schematic. I, I think this is talent, and I think it's effort. And the thing I keep going back to is is they were up forty one to twenty one against Ole Miss, and they were up thirty eight to fourteen against against South Carolina. They win both games by a combined thirty points. And you know, I think I think I, I think I may have put in my article that they won one game, one SEC game by more than by two touchdowns or more in 2018. They won three SEC games by 14 plus points in uh, in 2019, and they've already got two this year. So again, I think we're nitpicking because one one side of the ball is so much more lopsided than the other. Mm-hmm. We're also nitpicking because one side of the ball looks like it's championship level. And then we're nitpicking because, let's be honest, we're tired of losing to Georgia. And that's who we're looking at when we're looking oh, at this team. Yeah. So- <laughs> you, you go to Twitter right now and it's, this won't beat Georgia. This won't beat Georgia. I'm just like, well, and they're right. right. They're, they're, they're right. It won't. Right. But, 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 if they're up 38 to 14 against Georgia and anybody takes their foot off the gas... Oh God! Yeah. I, throw them off the team. <laughs> yeah. Throw them off the team because they should want to win that game by fifty will, points, by sixty points. Like they won't make should, it out of 
They won't make it out of Jacksonville. I'll be there. <laughs> there should there should be so the, again. You sort of it, it, it's a it's a cat and mouse thing. Like you're out there, there aren't a whole lot of fans. Like it, I'm sure it feels kind of dead while they're out yeah. there. It feels kind of like a scrimmage. You know, it, it's like when you yeah, were like playing, I said yesterday. It feels like a spring game on steroids right now. Yeah, and when you're playing a sport and you start just like kind of toying with the opponent, you're like, all right, am I re-? like when you like? So I, I played baseball more than more than any other sport. And when you get up there, like you concentrate when you're hitting. But let's be honest, if if you're sitting out there in left field, you're like, well, what's going on tomorrow? Like, you know, your mind drifts. And I'm sure that was part of what happened. Now, again, it's up to the coach to sit there and go, hey, get your, get your butt in gear, yeah. like start paying attention. And if you don't, I'm going to bring somebody else in. And, and so hopefully that's part of the conversation this week. And let's be honest, it is Ole Miss and South Carolina are decent teams. Texas A&M is going to be a much better opponent, regardless of what we saw last week. And and so hopefully, one going on the road, and two playing a better team, they won't be they won't come out playing. They'll come out and you know jump up four touchdowns and then just put the foot on the gas. But um, you know, and a good hey, play for your quarterback who was named after the dang field you're going to go play on Saturday. <laughs> uh, you know what? Good problem to have, Dave. If if they come out of the, I tell you what, if we go up by 28 points and they only win by 14 this week, I'm not going to complain. Okay. Yeah. There we go. I like that. I like. I like that. Um, but yeah. So go, kind of going to your point, Will, uh, and, and I'm going to continue what Mullen said and then go into some of the uh, conversation I had yesterday to to give some of the, some of the insider notes here. And um, you know, they talked about it as a team this morning. Mullen said, and someone brought it up that it has to be addressed with how they practice and the looks that they give. Uh, so that you know that led to the uh, you know that led me back to my conversation um, that I had uh, yesterday here. So. This week, you know, depending on practice and how it goes, we could see the return of Brad Stewart. So, like you said, that that's pretty big there, uh, and, and that would allow him to push for more time at star. I think that he's going to get a lot of time at, at the star position, and that could push Marco Wilson back outside to, to cornerback, where we hopefully see some more consistent play there uh, from Marco. Jadon Hill, I mean, he's played really well there early on, so it'd be interesting to see how all that works out and. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, Brad Stewart being back out there as somebody who has a lot of experience. And look, I'm not sitting here and saying the defense is automatically going to be better because Brad Stewart's out there and what he brings to the table. But if he's out there and can contribute to where you can get a player like Marco Wilson to be in a more comfortable spot to where he's also playing better, then I think that's the that, that's the addition here is bringing out Brad Stewart makes maybe somebody else and other players out there feel more comfortable. You know, I, I do wonder, we were talking about the coaches sending a message. I think it might be a message. You, yeah. you know, Marco, if, if if you don't think he's played as well as he should have the first couple of games, he knows the money to be made is on the outside, yeah. right? And so you put him in there at nickel, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, like if they're going to play me at nickel, it, maybe, maybe I ought to start listening. And, and Jadon Hill's obviously played real well. So, um, you know, I, I think there's probably a little bit of message message giving there. The, the, the thing about Stewart is I don't know that – I mean, he was inconsistent last year, right? So we're not yeah. necessarily looking for some elite-level corner who just hasn't been on the field. This isn't C.J. Henderson coming back yeah. to the field for Florida. However, it's another guy who, when somebody screws up, you can pull that guy off the field and put Stewart back in, and then when Stewart fa- when Stewart screws up, you can pull him out and put somebody else back in. And, like, and that's part of it, you know. Who, who's pushing Marco at star right now? I, I mean, young young Travis Johnson, who I hope is eventually really really good. And look, they they like him in goal line situations. I I learned that as well. They really like Travis Johnson in that nickel role, nickel star role, close to the in goal line situations, and we saw that uh, on the field versus South Carolina. But all in all, when you just take a look at it. Marco Wilson's not getting pushed at star, but if you if you know if there's a push of competitiveness 
when he gets moved back to corner because hopefully Brad Stewart's playing well at star. I mean, then maybe, you know, lots of fire there. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, we have been talking for years now about recruiting and how important it is and needing guys who are high-level difference makers on the defense. And, you know, the guys they brought in are going to have to do that now. Uh, the question is, have they hit on enough guys, right? I mean, one of the things coming out of last year was, you know, how are they going to replace Polite? And they found Grenard through the transfer portal. And how are they going to replace Grenard? Oh, they found Cox. And Cox actually been pretty good. But he has not mm-hmm. been as good as Grenard was last year, at least right. not yet. I mean, Grenard could could generate a pass rush just by based on the moves that he had. And Cox right now seems to be relying on athleticism. I think it's the same thing at defensive back, right? I mean, obviously, I think Trey Dean's shown some flashes back there mm-hmm. at safety. I think, um, you know, I think Marco probably is getting a little bit unfairly scathed just because when one defensive back isn't doing his job, you start trying to do his job as well as your own, and then you end up out of position. I think that's probably happened a few times. Um, you've got pe- you got safety taking bad angles. You've got uh, you know the linebackers aren't going in the right spot when they're trying to cover. And again, y- y- we people point out the Bernie play, but I would say go back and look at the linebackers in coverage. It was not just Bernie struggling in coverage at, at linebackers. So, um, you know, and then especially if you go back to the old Miss game, there were guys who kind of looked like they were taking plays off. Mm-hmm. And and that's something that needs to get fixed too is, you know, if you can't go 100%, tap your helmet, let somebody else get in there. So I think more people, obviously, more bodies is going to be beneficial. Um, but the some of the effort problems are things that eventually just filter down to the coaches. You got to pull people out when they when they decide they're not going to give full effort. And and but the more people you have, the more that allows you to do that. Yeah, um, Mamoudi Abate not still not fully comfortable there at linebacker. Much more comfortable on the edge uh, for him. So you know more playing time. I think at linebacker will will help that. Um, but uh, that's one thing they're kind of fighting through uh, right now. And look, I think we we all look at the defensive front here, and you kind of talked about you know some different looks and that, that we could see um, you know, here. And we all worry about that. We all wonder about that defensive front right now, and maybe what the best combination is. And I wanted to go um, look at. Uh, for whatever, I might even overvalue these drive wheels, you know, these drive right before halftime. What are you doing on offense? What are you doing on defense right before halftime? But, and the reason I say that, cause I know the importance coaches put on it. So I, yeah, I think they, they draw things up uh, and, and whatever packages you put out there, I think says a lot about the players that they trust. So you now go in and I went back and looked at that defensive front on, on, on the, the drive to, Try and force you know South Carolina to go three and out and get your offense the, the ball. You know you know that's the plan right there. Look, the plan is to stop the offense every time you're out there. But you you, you know you're putting your best players in the position here to to do something. So on that drive before halftime, to get the ball back to the offense, the defensive front was Jeremiah Moon standing, Carter and Slayton down with their hand in the dirt, and Cox standing. So uh, I thought that you know it was interesting because I think that may lead us to believe that that's the four on the front that they like moon carter slayton cox and i mean for for the most part you know it, it calls a three and out there to, to, to get the ball and looking at it. situational defenses is huge to me i've said that a couple of times too in two weeks in a row they've been able to get the off the opposing offense to go three and out and, and, and get the ball to the offense but uh, i'll find i found it interesting in, in, in what i think they trust there on the front right now and maybe if you look at it all through the game may not have been the best combination but at least in that 
point uh, of the game, you have Moon, Carter, Slayton, and Cox uh, up there as their front four. Yeah, I mean, I think those are probably the best four. At least those are the four that they hope step into it because of their combination of skills. They just that front four is not as good as the front four that we had last year with Zaniga, Campbell, Schuler, and mm-hmm. and Grenard. And and I'll tell you, the guy they're missing up front right now. When you go back and look at some of the tape from last year, is Adam Schuler. Schuler yeah. was in the backfield a lot. And he was occupying two blockers a lot. And you don't really realize it until you miss it. But all of a sudden, you're like, why were the linebackers so much freer last year? Why did it seem like they were better against the run? And a big part of that was Shuler. And, and Slayton struggled and to, until the South Carolina game last year and then picked it up. So, And to go um, back to your point there, too, Will, and your earlier point, intensity. Shuler brought the intensity as well. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I remember the first, basically in 2018, we had, I think it was Elijah Conliffe and Tadaro Slayton were the starting tackles. And by the time the Tennessee game came around, Kyrie Campbell and, and Adam Schuler were the starting tackles yeah. and then were the, have been the starting tackles for the last two years. And this year you haven't had Campbell in there and, and you haven't had Schuler in there. And so, you know, I guess you talked about experience and breaking in new guys and stuff like that in other areas. And I sort of said, well, we got plenty of experience up front. They're just not performing, but let's be honest. We don't have a lot of starting experience up front because the guys who started the last two years have been, uh, are, are no longer with the team. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think those are the four best guys. I think it's a lot like the offensive line maybe last year. We expected more out of them because of the coaches. We expected more out of them mm. because, you know, you expected Brett Heggie to be pretty good. You, you're like, yeah. okay, Forsyth has been in the program for a little while. Hey, DeLance is a transfer. He's probably going to be pretty good. And then, you know, we'll plug and play Garage and some other guys, and, and we'll see how it goes. And it turned out the offensive line just wasn't very good, and there wasn't a whole lot you could do about it other than put them out there and hope that they got better throughout the year. Now, that did happen, but their baseline was not fantastic and so by the end of the year you know in the Virginia game they started to turn a corner but even in the Florida State game that offensive line was still struggling to generate any push I think you're sort of seeing that on the defensive side of the ball right now right like the guys who were getting the push last year are and weren't getting pushed by the guys who were backups are gone and now the the guys who were backups last year are in there and aren't necessarily getting the push and and so that's one of the reasons why the defense is struggling well, it's scary. I, I tweeted that the other day. You brought up the Orange Bowl, and I was like, and we kept looking at the Orange Bowl. Was hey, hopefully that's the preview for the offensive line. The offensive line played their best game of the season. They had some big runs. Maybe it was a preview for the defense as well, because that's exactly kind of what we've gotten these first two games. Well, 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 so one thing I think is interesting is when you go back and look, and I remember this from last year, Florida's defense struggled to get off the field in a lot of different games. Uh-huh. I mean, obviously, the LSU game, they couldn't stop anybody. The Georgia game, Georgia got a ton of third down conversions. And and that's and even the Kentucky game, that was a game where things mm-hmm. kind of turned when Trask came in the game. I think David Reese got a stop right after the Franks injury and then got the ball back for Trask and then all of a sudden the defense yep. was playing well and what would happen is, is that defense would clamp down for a quarter but it was not capable of clamping down for an entire game. I don't remember an entire game that wasn't against you know somebody crappy like Tennessee where they clamp clamped yeah. down the entire game. I think there were games where they would clamp down for a quarter or clamp down for you know maybe a quarter and a half and this defense hasn't shown the ability to do that yet. It's basically been as good as the defense was sort of broad base in some of those quarters where we were like, oh, I can't think it off the field and hasn't been able to clamp down for that quarter. So I think that's something we should be looking for is not necessarily that they're going to put together some complete game where – you know, where they're able to just absolutely dominate the opponent, that's probably not the ceiling of this team. But the ceiling of the defense is can they clamp down and say the third quarter on the road against a quality team like Texas A&M 
when the game's 14-14, as opposed to, you know, these games before where they've kind of been playing with South Carolina and Old Miss in the first half. And, and you know, when you're no longer playing with the opponent, when it's a close game, is the defense going to be able to clamp down? We'll see. All right. And uh, so, yeah, well, let's go to the defensive front just for before we close this episode here. You know, Kyrie Campbell, believe me, guys, back behind the scenes, it's back and forth, whether he'll be out there this season or not. I mean, good news lately. We'll see. Um, we'll, we'll see how it all works out, shakes out. There's just a lot that has to be done there. Leave it at that, and we'll, we'll see where it goes. Hopefully, you, you know, he's out there uh, coming up soon. So, but, Will, you, if you look at it, Florida's right now playing a, a lot of, I think, base right now, 4-2-5. And yeah, it, it, the size up front, I think, is what's, what's killing them right now, especially with the, the lack of physicality uh, that we're seeing in, in the offensive lines just coming at them. Uh, they don't really have the size to do that consistently. And look, we, we've brought this up before, and Will, you've been, you've been kind of staunch on it a little bit. The defensive recruiting has been good, but one complaint is, where is the size, and does Florida have like too many of, the, of that buck position? You know, Do they have too many players that they've tried to, to, to fit in that area? And I think we We've seen it uh, a bit now to, you know, uh, look, and that started under Jim Michael. You don't get me wrong. The defensive tackle recruiting was subpar there. It's slowly getting better uh, right now. And you, and you had the big splash with Gervon Dexter. Uh, of course, uh, last cycle there, and he's out there of uh, making making his presence out there. But you know, Dexter he has to continue the rise and, and be consistent enough to where what a lot of people want to see will is, is Carter slide out the defensive end uh, at some point. But you can only slide Carter out there if if, if Dexter and Slayton are, are out there and can be counted on to maybe eat up some double teams and 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 as we said kind of earlier with when you're playing quarterbacks and they're dropping back to to forced the quarterback uh, where they don't have any, anywhere to to move up in the in the pocket. So, uh, you know, Carter is playing more in the middle. I'm not sure consistently if that's the best fit for him. But, look, I also think they're trying to limit injuries, Will, uh, there into when all three are out there. When you have Carter, Slayton, and, and, and Dexter out there, I think that is probably part of one of their best packages as well. But the, the way the season's going right now, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I, th- I think you could be saving – those guys from injury uh, a little bit, trying to get some more packages out there uh, as well. You know, for injuries risk right now for Florida, if you, if you got Dexter and Slayton out there together a whole lot, you can't afford for those guys to, to get hurt because defensive tackle depth, until we figure out what happens with Kyrie Kimball, it's kind of hurting right now. So, you know, I think now with the teeth of the schedule coming up, you might see Dexter out there where you can kind of count on him and Slayton uh, out there together. That allows you to slide Carter out there, Cox at Buck as well. But, you know, Slayton needs to continue to force some double teams, and the other guys need to step up. And, you know, it, and it Will, as you said, kind of going back to your point, really help these linebackers out a, a little bit as well. Yeah, there are really only two ways out of this. One is Campbell comes back and is a disruptive force. The other is Gravon Dexter turns into a disruptive force. I yes. think at this point, to believe that that Tadaryl Slayton is going to be a huge disruptive por- force on a play-by-play basis is probably expecting too much. Like he's a he's a good player up front. I don't think he's a difference maker. I think if if Dexter can turn into a difference maker up front, then the complexion of this defense really starts to change. If he doesn't, if they have to keep rotating people, if they have to keep bringing Carter inside because Carter is one of their better guys off the edge, right? You put Carter yeah. up against the left tackle and he can do what he did on that bull rush where he yeah. drove the guy right back into the quarterback. You're taking that away 
when you put him up the middle, but you have to put him up the middle because he's the only guy who's really big big enough right. to do it. <laughs> this is where they're missing a guy like Malik Langham. Like that guy transferring out after a year in the program and some of the attrition that we've seen, you know, and, he's, and, and he's maybe one of the more important of, ones. And kind of go to your point, a guy like Malik Langham, because he's not really doing much at Vandy, Vandy either, but to your point, you know, you needed a guy like that that you brought in a highly rated recruit to pan out, and he didn't, and then you're, and you're feeling the effect of it. Well, I mean, that that has to do with probabilities and all that stuff <laughs> right. we always talk yeah. about when yeah. we're talking about recruiting. But, I mean, you know, the reality is, is Zach Carter has worked out yeah. as one of those big-bodied guys who's a defensive end who can set the edge but can also slide inside and play. There is no Dominique Easley right now. There is mm-hmm. no Sharif Floyd right now. There is no Caleb Brantley. You know, there, there's there's not even, even an Ivy, right? Like, they, they don't have that huge guy who can occupy two blockers on a consistent basis. If Dexter can become that guy, this defense immediately takes a step up. And I think you see guys like Ventrell Miller and James Houston, all of a sudden you're like, whoa, they're in the backfield an awful lot. And that's going to be tied to the defensive tackle. So, you know, we'll see. I think your comment about... It's going to force you to have to blitz your linebackers probably more than you want to if you want to have to generate some pressure sometimes. Well, but then you've got the back end of the defense that was struggling against Ole Miss. So, you know, you talked about meeting in the middle. The problem is, is there is no meeting in the middle. We we, we ran into this in in 2017 a little bit, which was, you know, if if Randy Shannon sat back in a zone, the team got picked apart. If Randy Shannon came on a blitz, the team got absolutely obliterated. And you're like, well, what do you want him to do? Like, yeah. Like, I agree that the scheme could be more creative. I agree they could do some things. But at the end of the day, if you can't blitz because you can't expose your defense and if you can't rush four because you can't get to the quarterback, then you're going to struggle. And and that's what we're seeing a little bit. Now, we're not seeing it to that extent, obviously. No. Yeah, right. And the other thing is, is that when you start looking at points per game and you start looking at yardage rankings and all those sorts of things, those are tied into who you've played. So if we had played Eastern Washington to start the year – this defense would have gotten some reps and some confidence associated with that sort of game where we'd be like, okay, you know what? They played well in that game, then they struggled against Old Miss, and then, you know, and then we're a little bit better against South Carolina. We see the progress. The problem is, is we didn't have that cupcake game. It started out with the SEC, and I think part of the rotation that you're seeing up front, and even the whole way through defense, through the defense, is probably related to the fact that they have once they get up by two three four touchdowns that is when it is time to get these guys in and get them experience and they're going to screw up right and and we're just gonna have to live with it because that's part of the cost of of a championship team is you're gonna have to have guys like dexter guys like hill guys like you know you mentioned trevez johnson like those sorts of guys may have to step in and if you're not going to let them make a mistake when you're up 38 14 when when are you going to allow them to make a mistake because we know the mistakes are coming let's make them now when we're ahead yeah, and I think that you know that might be why you see some of those guys out there now, and and that is one problem. And Mullen mentioned it today is they wanted to get some of the young guys out there, and they couldn't get the defense off the field, and that just led to one one problem to where you weren't able to get those guys. Well, they had nine uh, yards uh, in the fourth quarter, so I blame the <laughs> offense for for not getting guys in the game. Yeah, like I said, you know, we talked about that yesterday. You come out passing the ball three, you know, and. You had the turnover, uh, and you had the Tony run as well. That didn't really go anywhere. Uh, I was excited for that play with Tony in the backfield. It just didn't go anywhere. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, so there we go. You know, we, we're breaking it down as best we can here. Hopefully, we see the improvement. Uh, hopefully, players come back uh, in the next couple weeks to to, to where 
uh, we can kind of look at this defense and hopefully look back at these first two games and, and kind of laugh uh, at ourselves. Hopefully that's the case, Will. Um, but uh, we, know, we know the improvement uh, has to be made there. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll, we'll see what happens with the coaches and the, and the players and uh, see if they can get it done. Well, hey, we we started this by saying you know two fourteen point wins yeah. should, or two two fourteen plus point wins. We should be happy with that. I, again, I think we're picking apart the warts because yeah. this is a championship level team. If the defense can be serviceable, and as of right now, the defense is struggling to get the ball back to the offense, especially against Old Miss, it was really bad. And then last week against South Carolina, and we all you know we're all jaded by the Will Muschamp experience in Gainesville, basically just figuring that that team's going to be terrible offensively in Florida. It should have been the panacea. And I think we all expected the defense to at least be able to get off the field, even if it gave up yards. And not being able to go off the field, I think people say, okay, well, that's that's a little bit disturbing. So there have been different problems each game, and you look at it and go, okay, well, that stuff needs to get fixed. It does, right? But like you said, we're 2-0. and There's eight more games to go. If in if on the first week in November these mistakes are still being made, then you and I are going to be coming in here and talking about how we couldn't get over the hump against Georgia if they've started to fix these things. And that's the thing is I don't it doesn't need to be perfect. They don't need to give up six points against Georgia. But if they keep Georgia under twenty, there's no way Florida loses that game. Like I I just don't think that Georgia's gonna be able to hold Florida's offense below twenty four or twenty seven points even though I think Georgia's got a really good defense. So then it comes down to, is Florida's defense going to let you know Georgia's offensive line maul them like Auburn got mauled the other night? And, and that is a concern, right? As you yeah. look at what they did to Auburn, uh, okay, like uh, Auburn yeah. had some pretty good athletes on defense and some pretty good players on defense, and Georgia really took advantage of it. And, and maybe that's the other thing, too, is that we saw Georgia's identity was going to be a game manager on offensive quarterback and a lights-out defense. And I think Florida's identity, we knew – or I'm not sure we expected the offense to be quite this good. Right. And and the identity now of this team is a lights-out offense and a defense where we're like, eh. So, I mean, maybe what we really need to do is reset the expectations to where the defense is going to be a game management defense, not, you know, like you would, like Georgia has set their expectations that they're going to have a game manager at quarterback. Like, they are yeah. under no delusions that that team's going to put up 50 points yeah. in a game. They're just not going to. Yeah, but situa- got situational to- football for the defense is going to have to be there. If, if, if overall improvement doesn't happen, then at least the situational football is going to have to be there. And there's going to be overall improvement, too. I, I, I'm under no illusions that by Game 9, they're not going to be better than they are today. The problem is, is that Georgia is before Game 9. So you know, <laughs> we'll see where we are going into that one, man. Yep, yep. All right, well, um, one more. Quick, your quick, quick, quick thought on Demarcus Bowman. Now being a Gator. Hey, anytime you get a five-star guy, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy. Um, the big thing is, is that you never want to grade recruiting classes on one recruit. Yep. And you never want to um, go, off the, go off the rails for one particular guy. But we were just talking about having offensive guys who can take it to the house. Bowman's one of those guys. And so the more of those types of guys you put in Mullen's offense, I think we've seen what he can do with talent that is top 10 but not top five. Now he's got a toy who's going to be able to really stretch defenses and really cause some havoc. And with he's him and Lingard, never had this type of player as a head yeah. coach. Well, and and he's got him and Lingard, yeah. right? So you know we haven't seen Lorenzo Lingard yet at running back, but you combine those two guys, and now you're talking. You know, you sort of think of Dempson Rainey in some respects, but those guys are always really small. Mm-hmm. These, these guys aren't small. These are real three down running backs, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see over the next couple of years how he's able to utilize them. Yep, yep, sounds good. All right, well, uh, coming up, reading reaction this week, uh, when's your uh, A&M preview coming out? And, man, uh, 
luckily for you, you've already did a big Kellen Mond uh, previews over the summer, so I'm sure you can kind of work that back in there. Oh yeah, we'll definitely be linking to that one too. But so yeah, the A and M preview will drop on uh, on Wednesday morning, I think. And then uh, um, I've got I got a talk at the Gainesville Quarterback Club tomorrow that's going to be focused on Kyle Trask. So there will probably be something up that's a little bit of that stuff on the uh, hmm. uh, on the website later in the week as well. And then Nick is doing a uh, Nick Knudsen's doing a gambling piece pre before each game that, that comes out Friday morning. So sort of tells you who to take in the SEC. Um, he wasn't real good his first week, but much better, <laughs> much better week too. And then the other thing is, is he's doing a weekly feature every Monday morning called the good, the bad, and the UGALY, uh, the ugly. And so uh, he, he, he finds a way to take some shots at Georgia and sort of give a look around the SEC and what's going on. So definitely go over there and check out Nick's stuff as well. Awesome, awesome. That's at readandreaction.com. That is Will Miles' site. And you can also find him on Twitter at Will Miles SCC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.